ओम ज्ञान चिरंधस्यज्ञानंजनशलाकाय चक्षुरनीलितम येना तस्मै श्री गुरवे नमः that uh, traditionally most people didn't read actually uh the, the brahmins especially would read texts to others and they would explain it to them so uh so far i read through let's see i read through 17 of the 64 Yeah. Come the qualities, yeah. And now I will read number 18. Krishna is sober. Sober means in this case uh grave. Oh, no, so I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm sorry. Uh sorry I'm re- for number 20 sorry look at the wrong side uh Shastra Chakshuhu Krishna sees with the eye of scripture Shastra Chakshuhu Ambarish Prabhu is laughing why should we laugh Well we can react in different ways on hearing Krishna's quality we can cry thinking of uh how wonderful krishna is uh laughing i was saying the reason for laughing may be that krishna himself is the source of all scripture krishna is guiding everyone how to act through scripture uh so his seeing through the eye of scripture is different to everyone else's seeing through the eye of scripture it's not that he, well well with with all of us we think well scripture says this that means that's coming from krishna therefore we have to follow it but rather um whatever krishna wants to do that is scriptural injunction it is uh impossible for krishna to do anything wrong of course he does so many things wrong krishna is the in all of history there's never been a womanizer like krishna there's literally billions of girlfriends and they're all married to other people so if someone has a girlfriend who's married to someone else that's wrong so krishna is the number one wrong billions of times over there's no one in history who can rival him he's the most uh, famous thief in history he's the number one terrorist a terrorist thinks he's doing pretty good if he blows a building if he burns in a building but krishna just destroys the whole universe at one time but of course although we're saying it's wrong it's not wrong because it's done by krishna and uh this is not some kind of uh sectarian orthodoxy just like during the time of stalin if you got the news that stalin executed 20 people before breakfast this morning you'd have to say good otherwise you'd be number 21 and actually many people uh their belief in god is like that that i believe in god otherwise he'll throw me in hell 
But uh, Rupa Goswami is telling us about the glorious qualities of Krishna, by which devotees will appreciate Krishna out of love. Although people may believe in God out of fear of hell, the, the pure Vaishnava's perspective is different. Narayana Parasarve Nakutaschina Bhipyati Swarga Pabhaga Narakesh Vapitulyartha Darshanaha Those who are attached to Narayana, they're not afraid of going to hell. They see hell, heaven, and liberation as the same. They're only interested in serving Krishna in any situation. So here, uh, Shastra Chakshuhu, one who sees through the eye of Scripture, is a person who performs his actions according to the rules of Scripture. So Krishna also does that. Um, one reason is to set an example for others. So some of his ex some of his behavior is uh, for uh, teaching the world. Yeah, his uh, daily activities, as uh, seen by Narada Muni, they are uh, for teaching the world how to behave as an ideal ruler, husband, father, etc. And his activities, which appear to be not according to scripture. Uh, such as stealing, lying, cheating, womanizing, they're also according to scripture actually. Because uh, Krishna is the supreme, absolute, independent enjoyer. Uh, therefore, Logotaranam, Logotaranam, what is that? Logotaranam Chaitanya, his. His activities are always above those of the of ordinary people. So he acts as the supreme, in, absolute, independent enjoyer by doing things which for others are forbidden. And thus demonstrates his being the supreme, absolute, independent enjoyer. Everything Krishna does is for his enjoyment. He's the most indulgent, egoistic person that anyone could imagine. Of course, we can't imagine either. It's beyond imagination, Krishna's character. Egoistic people, with the exception of Krishna, are not nice. Someone who's always boasting and promoting themselves, who wants to be with such people? That's because uh, self-promotion is not uh, fitting for a tiny, insignificant jiva. But Krishna is not self-promoting. He doesn't have to be. He has a big fan club. And rather, Krishna is self-effacing. Self-effacing means he, uh, instead of self-promoting means if you have a little quality, you try and explain it more and make a big thing out of it. And self-effacing means that even if you have good qualities, you try and hide it and not make a big thing of it. I remember once in uh, Delhi, in our temple there, there was some woman from America there. I met her. I was giving a lecture and she came to meet me after the lecture. Means not a devotee. 
And she said something to praise me. I can't remember what it was. And I said something to deflect that. And, said, and she said appreciatively that, well, I noticed how in India everyone is, uh, they don't like to take praise for themselves. So that's a fact. Um, in 1966, I believe it was, Cassius Clay won the, or 64, won the, uh, in the Tokyo Olympic Games, won the World Heavyweight Boxing, a gold medal. He won the gold medal. He won the gold medal, yeah. Cassius Clay from America. So he declared, I am the greatest. Well, he was the greatest in uh, punching people in the face in a regulated manner. Means there are rules in boxing. Uh, later, he converted to Islam and became. You've maybe heard the name more, Muhammad Ali. World, he became the world boxing heavyweight champion. He went Olympics was uh, amateur, and then he went professional. Those of you who are interested in uh, watching people trying to smash the pulp out of each other, you've probably heard the name of Muhammad Ali. They heard of him. Anyone heard of him? He's well known. Uh, so anyway, after converting to Islam, he retracted his statement, I am the greatest. No, withdraw. He said, uh, actually, I'm not the greatest. Allah is the greatest. So that is the fact. Krishna is the greatest. Uh, so uh, when he plays his Leela, which he does all the time, he plays down his greatness. And sometimes he makes it clear, especially when he speaks Bhagavad Gita, and he tells Arjuna that uh, Oh, Arjuna, you are a great conqueror of wealth. You are a very great person, no doubt. But actually, no one is equal to me. No one is greater than me, not even slightly. So when Cassius Clay said, I am the greatest, that was only his egoism. We call that false egoism. When Krishna says, I am the greatest, that's egoism, but that's real egoism. Krishna's egoism means to say, I am the greatest. And for a conditioned soul, or for any soul, even a liberated soul, his proper egoism, not false egoism, is to say, I am very insignificant. Bhagavan, the Supreme Person, he is Vibhu Chaitanya, or the uh, great powerful consciousness. And the jivas, they are Anu Chaitanya, microscopic, also conscious, but microscopic. Yeah, so that point in Indian culture, people tend to be self-effacing. That means even if a person is uh, accomplished, he will say, it's only by the mercy of my guru. 
For instance, that's that's a common uh, commonly the uh, one success is ascribed to one's guru or gurus or superiors in general. So Krishna sees through the eye of Scripture, but still he sees somewhat differently to everyone else. He is the object of Scripture. So Krishna seeing through the eye of Scripture is like looking in a mirror. By looking through the eye of Scripture, we should see only Krishna. So Krishna does the same. He sees himself. Now, uh, there's a verse quoted here in this regard. The eyes of Scripture belong to Krishna, the enemy of Kangsa. Mm. And Avartha Drishta. He, he sees what is the. Uh, when Krishna sees any situation, he can understand the auspicious and inauspicious elements in any particular situation. Oh. No, this is this book is uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Let's see, mm. the ocean of the nectar of Bhakti Rasa. So, uh, uh, yeah, Srila Prabhupada presented that as the complete science of Bhakti Yoga. He subtitled the nectar of devotion. So this book is very scientific in as much as it's very analytical and puts everything into different categories. But at the same time, the subject matter is rasa. And rasa is uh, characterized by this chamatkara bharabhu. It's uh, born of a deep sense of wonder. So it tends to, rasa is something wonderful, it tends to to defy that which is defined. Uh, or to go beyond the boundaries of uh, strict, cold, analytical, yeah, strict, cold analysis. So along with the analysis here of Krishna's seeing through the eyes of Scripture, there's another statement also, that his eyes exist only to bewilder young women. So someone is looking at Krishna's eyes and thinking that, oh, Krishna is seeing everything through scripture and philosophizing about him in this way. But the beautiful young women of Vrindavan, they don't get that far in thinking. Because they simply see his eyes and then they become bewildered by the beauty of Krishna's eyes. And not only the young women of Vrindavan, the young women of Mathura, and Dwaraka, and Kundina, and <coughs> everywhere. All right, the next quality, number 21, Shuchihi, purity. There's a well-known verse in this regard. Om Pavitra Apavitro Va Sarva Vastam Gato Piva Yasmaret Pundari Kaksham Sabha Shuchihi that uh, in whatever condition one may be, apparently pure, 
or not pure. One who remembers the lotus-eyed one, which means Krishna, they're always pure, inside and outside. There are two kinds of purity, external and internal. External purity is uh, had by bathing in particular and donning fresh cloth. That's called ritually pure. That means that uh, one is then allowed to, for instance, go in the deity room with socks not on. I don't know. Everything gets changed. You know, maybe in a few years it'll be a rule that you're not allowed in the deity room without a Mickey Mouse cap on. <laughs> Someone will introduce it and then it'll become standard. And uh, you know, there'll be no more Madungas. There'll only be uh, electric guitars and a drum set. Actually, in some places in Iskon, you don't, you know, Madangas, you don't even see them anymore. They've become banned, it seems. There's only voodoo drums. Anyway, Krishna is pure. And here it's mentioned there, uh, yeah. I said there's external purity, and internal purity is by remembering Krishna. Internal purity means to be free from lust, greed, anger, and the rest. So there are, uh, here, here in this verse, it's mentioned that there are two types of purity. There's a different two kinds of purity. One kind of purity means that uh, one is personally without any faults. And another kind of purity is that is so pure that destroys the impurity and sins of others. Just like Ganga. She's called Patita Pavani. She purifies the fallen. And of course, Krishna himself is well known as Patita Pavana. Uh, means he who uh, purifies the fallen. Uh, there's a verse from Padma Purana describing purification of sin. That's called Pavana. In which uh, Vidur is instructing Dhritarashtra. He tells uh, Dhritarashtra, that with your intellect purified by faith and uh, sincerity, uh, worship Krishna intently. Intently, yeah, intently means it's almost the same as intensely. Yeah. Intently means with uh, firm purpose. It's similar to intensely. Uh, Krishna is described in this verse as Uttama Shloka Moli, the, the topmost of those who are described in the best verses. As described in this verse, Krishna is an ocean of good qualities, which gives a clue as to how he purifies others. His glory destroys all darkness and he purifies those who purify others if we come in the presence of a great devotee we feel purified we might have that experience people have different experiences when they go in the presence of great devotees 
Some people feel themselves very sinful in, in comparison or very insignificant. Some people don't react particularly in any way at all. There are many people who met Prabhupada who just, they took him as an ordinary person. I read one anecdote about uh, Chandrasekharendran Saraswati, who was the greatest Mayavadi sannyasi of the modern age. Yeah, he was in Shankara Sampradaya. He was, a, he was the Shankara, Kanchi Shankara Acharya. Um, I say he was the greatest in as much as uh, by his saintly qualities, actually. He was a, not that we uh, are promoting Mayavad here, but it, se but it seems that anyway he was a closet Vaishnava, or a uh, closet Vaishnava means he was uh, secretly a Vaishnava. His mat was just close to the, or, or is close still to the uh, famous Ekambareshvara Matam in Kanchi, the, the Shiva temple. So the Shankara Sampradaya, they're supposed to be followers of Shankara, which means Shiva. So, uh, but this Chandrasekharendran, he would hardly ever go to the Shiva temple. He would walk several kilometers to the other side of town every day to have darshan of Varadaraj, the uh, deity of Vishnu. So I've been told. Yatashutam. He walked because he followed the... He's very strict in following all the rules and uh, sannyasis are not supposed to go by any vehicle, not even an ox cart. So anyway, I read some uh, narration about him, how uh, one man, he was a very proud man and he didn't believe in religion or any such nonsensical things as he had judged it to, to be. But anyway, one of his friends dragged him, as Prabhupada used that uh, expression when one of Prabhupada's friends in his childhood brought him to see Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati. So this man, he uh, he considered sadhus to be a scourge on the human race. It means like a blight or a... Scar. Uh, no, a, a blight means uh, just like when all the crops are wiped out. It means something very bad. <laughs> yeah, I'll look it up to get it. Yeah, it's... Uh, a source of widespread devastation. It's like something very bad for the whole of human society. <laughs> Just like uh, there's... Uh, in 1618 there was a book published called The, the Scourge of Drunkenness. So anyway, this man, he decided that anyway, this uh, this friend wanted me to be this sadhu, but I'll make sure he doesn't bring me to see any more sadhus because I'm going to be rude to this guy. This useless fellow just sitting inside a building doing nothing, talking, you know, reciting all this mumbo-jumbo, which they call scripture. I'll give him a piece of my mind. So... Uh, this proud man was waiting, and then the Chandrasekharendran entered the room. So this Chandrasekharendran was very, quite short, and uh, he would 
dress, hardly any clothes. I mean, in South India, you have just a short cloth, and then so this 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 man opened his mouth to insult the Swami, and all of a sudden he found himself at his feet, crying and crying and crying. He hadn't planned for that, but when that man's own huge pride came in contact with the uh, saintly qualities of the sadhu, then the proud man was overwhelmed and realized his actually very bad position. So like that, uh, the uh, saintly people, they purify others by various means. The Santa Evasya Chindanti Manovya Sangam Uktibihi. This one means they do is so, or prominent means described in Srimad Bhagavatam by Lord Krishna, is by cutting to pieces all the with their words all the attachments of the mind. Generally, people think that Sadhu is someone who smiles like some kind of. Uh, What's that called? Those laughing Buddha. You know that laughing Buddha. You don't know that from China. They have the, the they have in houses. They have the fat Buddha laughing like this, smiling Buddha. Is that what you call it? No. Okay. <laughs> People think that uh, the main job of a sadhu is to smile. According to Krishna in Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam, he, uh, well, he doesn't mention smiling, but he does mention uh, cutting to pieces by his speaking all the uh, attachments, mental attachments. So, anyway, the uh, saintly people purify others. Where did they get the power to do so? From Krishna. All power comes from Krishna. Ganga purifies others because she comes from the lotus feet of Lord Vishnu. It's because of the connection with Krishna that anything is able to purify anything else. An example of Krishna's purifying ability is that simply by nama bhas or a semblance of the pure chanting of the holy name, if that just appears in the heart, it destroys the greatest accumulation of sins. You can have committed millions of the worst sins. But by Nama Bhas, which means not even the fully pure chanting of the holy names, just that destroys all sins, just as light prior to the rising of the sun destroys all darkness. Just like early in the morning at this time of year, it's actually quite early, well before Mongolarti, uh, it starts to get light. And it's light enough so that you can see everything clearly. But it's still before sunrise. Because before sunrise, by according to our scientists, it's according to the refraction of light that we get the light of the sun before the sun has actually risen above the horizon. So in this way, uh, in the same way, before the pure pure manifestation of the holy name has fully risen in the heart, simply by Nama Bhas, all sins can be destroyed. One devotee told me yesterday that uh, 
famous Russian astrologer had, yeah, had told him what he was in his previous life. And he told him that the astrologer told him that he'd been the head of a mutt. Wow. And these astrologers, they never, I never heard them ever tell anyone that, well, in your previous life you were a simple housewife or a farmer. You're, you're always a king or a great sannyasi or something like that. So everyone who goes to astrologer must have been some kind of famous person in their last life. I don't believe it. And according to the astrologer, due to the uh, misuse of his position, that devotee was now suffering. So my response is that uh, I don't have faith in many astrologers, especially not Russian astrologers. Homemade, self-made astrologer. Read read a book on astrology and then open a, open up the uh, business. So anyway, I told him that even if you kill ten thousand Brahmins every day, now you're chanting Hare Krishna, which is uh, the import of that statement is upheld by what we just read now. Interestingly, it came up just the next day. Another verse from Padma Purana in this regard, even chanting purely or impurely one name of the Lord completely, entering the ear and penetrating the mind will certainly deliver a person. Then another, there's another verse describing Krishna's faultlessness, another aspect of purity. Uh, this, it's a, uh, a reverse statement of Uddhava to Satrajit. Satrajit is the father of Satyabham. And Satrajit also had with him a jewel known as the Samantaka jewel. So Satrajit was suspicious of Krishna. Krishna wants to take first he was suspicious that Krishna he wants to take my jewel and actually everyone in Dwarka thought that Satrajit was off as the saying goes uh, he was a jerk for not giving it to Krishna or Krishna would have given it to Ugrasena off is an informal way of saying doesn't say here um, and yeah then after Prasena the brother of Satrajit was killed and the Samantaka jewel taken from Prasena, then Satrajit spread a rumor in Dwaraka that it was all Krishna's doing. But as Uddhava told Satrajit, Krishna is faultless. And Krishna, he's not going to murder someone to take something. Actually, Krishna 
had taken that jewel by killing a demon in Vrindavan. Which demon was that? Shankachura. What does Shankachura mean? Shanka means? Conch. How do you say that in Russian? And Chura means? Hmm? No, it means the top of the head. So this uh, jewel, which uh, was shaped like a conch, was kept on his head, therefore he's known as Shankachura. So Krishna got the Samantaka jewel after killing Shankachura. But he didn't kill... It wasn't that Shankachura was a blameless person and that Krishna killed him to take the jewel. But he was killed. Krishna killed him because he was a demon and having killed him, he took the jewel. That's a long story. Let's see if I can... It's a complex narration. Let's see if I can remember it now. Krishna had the jewel and even at that time he didn't want to keep it for himself. So he was going to give it to one of the gopis but he thought, well, if I give it to any one of them then all the rest will be jealous. So instead Krishna gave it to Balaram. And although we hear that Balaram doesn't have much to do with Radharani, Balaram, knowing Radha's intention, gave it to um, Radha. Maybe he did that indirectly to through someone else like Subala, Sudama, or something. So anyway, according to Rupa Goswami's description, which... Uh, differs from other descriptions. Uh, at some point, Radha entered the Yamuna with Vishaka and were not seen again. They were not seen again, yeah. Not seen again in Vrindavan. Uh, the Yamuna took the Syamantaka jewel. Yamuna is the daughter of yeah, therefore her one name is Panu Tanaya. Is Panu Tanaya Devi Dasi here? No, seems like she's not here. Bhanu means the sun. There's many names. So she's the daughter of the sun and she gave that jewel to her father. Who gave it to? Who is the father of? Satyabhama, who according to Rupa Goswami is Radharani. So it's a complex story. Anyway, uh, everything belongs to Krishna. Uh, and he is, uh, he, as I mentioned just at the beginning of this little talk, uh, Krishna is uh, inherently faultless. Krishna cannot do anything wrong. Even if he does something wrong, it's right, because he's Krishna. Jari Joichi Nachai Tare Toichi Kari Nritta. Everything, he's the, uh, he's the uh, puppet, puppeteer. And everyone dances according to his pulling the strings. So everything Krishna does is right, and what is right and what is wrong means right is acting in accord with Krishna and wrong is not acting in accord with Krishna. So if Krishna wants someone to tell a lie, then uh, by not telling that lie, that person becomes wrong. This is absolute morality. Krishna is faultless. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. 
I'll stop there for now and I guess we can continue some other time Bhagavan Sri Krishna ki jai Sri Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu ki jai Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada ki jai Srila Prabhupada ki jai Hare Krishna Hare Krishna